honor of introducing my friend Melissa. Um, if you're ever going to go on an adventure with 11 kids, you want Russell, or if you have 11 kids, totally want Russell Melissa with you. <laughs> it was a good time, but um, I'm excited to see what God has in store for us today. bless the reading of your word, that you would change the hearts and minds of everybody hearing your word spoken today, here and throughout the community and the nation, as we gather together in churches and online. And no matter if we're in churches together or online, let us gather together in unity to worship you. Bless what you have given me and order my thoughts. In Jesus' name. We're going to start out of Matthew. I even have my real book Bible today. We're going to start in Matthew 16. And actually, we're just going to stay there because we're going to read 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. I need a tissue real quick. Sorry, guys, we turned the heat on because it's finally cold. And, uh... My house smells like burning dust, and my allergies went, ah! So, so forgive me if, if we have to pause momentarily. Okay. Here, in this region, is the first revelation to the disciples of who the Son of Man is, God. And I find it interesting, we're actually going to skip over the first part, the region where he is, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. 
And I find it interesting, he asks first, Jesus, Jesus asks first, who do you, who do people say that I am? So he's standing here in his group of disciples, his friends, his students, and he wants to know, who do they say that I am? And it's really easy to give an answer when somebody asks you, well, what are people saying? Because all you have to do is listen and repeat. You offer nothing of yourself. There's no vulnerability. There's no anything of yourself given to answer that question. You're merely repeating and parroting. See, today, in 2020, when everything shut down automatically, and back in March and whatnot, Everything for me got very overwhelming. Everything that I had searched for to listen to online, podcasts, different preachers speak, different biblical teachings, books that I was reading, all of a sudden, because everything went online, was in your face all the time, day in and day out. And it became so overwhelming that even though I've been a Christian for many years, I actually shut down. And I stopped hearing for myself what God was actually saying. Because it became overwhelming. And I started to drift and coast. Well, it's not worth investing right now. Well, the time will change eventually, and then we can reinvest later. But when you're drifting or coasting along, you're still moving, just not in the direction you choose and not in the direction you're necessarily supposed to be going. So when we start parroting back what people say, we lose that vulnerability with Christ. We lose that relationship, that standing that we've had. And in the next question, after they tell him what everybody's been saying about him, he asks, but who do you say that I am? And it's in this question they have to actually give account of their thoughts, of their heart, what they're hearing, how it impacts them personally. And Simon is the first one to answer, and his answer is, well, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it's really awesome here because he doesn't hear that from any man. No man yet knows who Christ is. It's the Father that reveals who Christ is to Peter. In John 6, we know that for no man can come to me, meaning Jesus, unless the Father who sent them first draws them onto me. So the Father right then, right there, is drawing these disciples, onto Jesus. He's speaking to them. He's giving dignity to the people. There is nothing more dignifying than when we can hear the Father's voice. It restores who we are. It restores who we're called to be. And it gives us a purpose and a destiny. And it's also right here when Jesus said, Blessed are you. And then he changes Simon's name to Peter. Simon, the Hebrew word Simon, is uh, it's an unusual name because it's an object. It means reed, like a plant, that the tall, thin plants that you see along the shorelines that blow to and fro in the wind. So he was named after a plant that bent and swayed with the wind. Whatever way the wind was blowing, he bent that way. But Jesus is restoring him. And he's calling him out into his destiny, the rock of the church. And he is no longer a reed bent and swayed to and fro, 
but he is the foundation of what God is going to use to build upon. He is the rock, and it's representative of Christ because Christ is the rock, and everything that is built upon him will stand. So when we hear what the Father is saying, it transforms us. Because when somebody gives you a name, when somebody gives you an identity, you think it shows a level of intimacy. When our children were, when we were having kids, and we would go to name them, we took great care in searching out, well, what should this baby's name be? Well, this means that, this means the other. We took time. We argued over it. <laughs> People argued over it with us. <laughs> but it shows intimate knowledge. And already, Christ intimately knows his disciples, intimately knows who they are and who they're going to be, and is starting to transform each of them, specifically Peter here, by giving him that new name. And he's calling out that destiny. He's calling it forth, that new call, that new work that he's establishing. And he's saying, you're the rock. And what's really cool, not even ten verses later in the same chapter, we, we hear Peter mess up. So we have the rock of the church, and then he messes up, and Jesus actually calls him Satan, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You will not stand in the way of what God is going to do. So it's a beautiful picture of this is what we're called to be, this is where we're going and what we achieve. But even along the way, he's calling us and he's changing us and he's transforming us into that new work, into that new creation. Then Jesus goes on. Now I say to you, Peter, you are the rock, and upon this I will build my church, and all the power of hell will not conquer it. So we're going to go back up to where he actually was, in Caesarea of Philippi. That place is a very significant place. It was Caesarea of Philippi. I did some research on it. It was the area under King Jeroboam in 1 Kings 12 where he built altars to other gods so people wouldn't leave Judah and his country. It was the area where there was cultic worship at the mouth of the cave at Mount Hermon where they worshipped the god Pan, where there's all sorts of perverse debauchery, bestiality, and other sin that took place in the sacrifice of the firstborn. It was even inscribed on the side, the gates of hell. And later, the Romans built temples to their Caesars, men who built themselves up to be as God, but were not God. It was there, in the darkest place, spiritually, that Jesus stood and commissioned his church where he announces the dismantling of death and he empowers the disciples with the authority to manage his kingdom. He stood. Now, this isn't necessarily a scripture. This is my picturing it in my head. So it's a mountain. And they would walk up to the entrance of the cave. And at the bottom of the mountain flowed the source of the Jordan River, 
which was the life water of the area where commerce and water, that's where they got water, was the life source of the area. And from the bottom of the cave, that's where the river began to flow. And they would take their sacrifices up and they would throw whatever they were sacrificing down. And if it got sucked down under the water, the gods accepted their sacrifice. But if it got dashed upon the rocks and blood ran out into the river, it was rejected. And I picture Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the entrance or at the ex or the, the point where the river starts flowing, where so much blood had been spilled, declaring who he is and what he's about to do. He went to Satan's own turf and threw down the gauntlet, basically. While we were in D.C., we had the um, privilege of going to the Supreme Court to pray on the 25th. And in front of the Supreme Court, Lou Engel, who, is, uh, who initially started the call 20 years ago, um, he was there and he prayed, and he uh, prayed against abortion, that Roe versus Wade would be overturned, that he would see it in his lifetime, and that voices would be returned to the people. And while he did that, they passed out these stickers that read life. It was just a red piece of tape, basically, and on it were printed life. And you were supposed to put them on your lips, and your silence represented the voices that had been silenced. And I'm standing there, and we're praying. And I couldn't help but think of the generations that have been silenced. See, we started the beginning of this year talking about the rising voices, the return of the voices, the church regaining the voice. And then we were masked, and I understand that it's for the virus. I understand there's other reasons, but look at it metaphorically. Look at it symbolically, okay? We were masked. We were shut down. The church was told, you can't meet, you can't sing. Because when we silence the voices of the most innocent among us, what happens and where do you go? It was a foundational moment because for so long the church has been a Simon, blowing to and fro in the winds of change, trying to keep up with whatever's going on to stay current. And there's nothing wrong with being current, okay? We need to be able to preach and speak to the people and what, to what is going on. And there's nothing wrong with being current. But when you lay down your foundational truths, and you blow to and fro. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be a Peter. We're called to be the rock. And from the beginning of this year, it was promised that the voice would be returned. And that's only something God can do. God is going to, because he has promised it, he has spoken it through many prophets, he has spoken it through many pulpits, he has spoken it around the nation and even around the world. There is going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There will be a revival coming, and it's going to be in his way, and it's going to be in his time. And yes, we need to declare it, and we need to stand with that, but that is his promise, and he will bring that to fulfillment, and he will change the hearts and minds of the people, which, through salvation experiences, 
which is the most important thing. It's the most important thing. But this promise doesn't come without responsibility from the church. I mean us and the church at large. Please understand. Because we have given legal access. We have given legal access to this thing. And we need to declare and repent for opening that door and let it being remained open. And we also need to prepare ourselves. The church needs to prepare. So when that door actually is closed, we have charities, we have discipleship programs, we have parenting classes, we have, you name it, we have diaper giveaways, we have, we need to prepare and strategize now for what we've prayed for. That's our responsibility. There's a story, um, this happened when I was four years old, so I was not around for it, but there's a story that Bill Johnson, I believe, likes to tell about when the Berlin Wall came down in 89. And the way he tells it is the prophets got up and said there was going to be reunification, this wall is coming down, and they started prophesying what the church had been praying for, for Germany, for Berlin. And they all agreed, and they would all stand up and cheer and shout, but they did nothing to prepare. So when, in fact, that came to pass, they were surprised, even though they shouldn't have been because that's what they were asking for, right? (laughs) They were surprised, and they found themselves unprepared, and they were scattering around trying to get the necessary materials together, trying to uh, make room for what was changing and how it was changing. And the church was doing that at the same time as any other uh, business, government, whatever. They all started working together. But God gave his people a glimpse into the future and said, this is coming down. And it's what the people wanted. And it's what the people prayed for. But it's not what the people prepared for. So while they saw a massive harvest after going into Berlin and the surrounding areas, how much bigger could it have been if everything was set in place? How much bigger? And it's not just the preparation, the education, but we need to be able to change our mindset too. I've spoken to teenage mothers who live in severe shame because of the way the church treated them when they did bring their baby to term and are raising it. And I'm not saying any of you guys do this here, okay? But when we encounter a horrible situation, maybe through no fault of that woman's own, maybe it was just a mistake that they made, we have to realize it's not all on her. And it's not necessarily all on the father. They are responsible for the choices that they make. But we are responsible to disciple and love. We are responsible to bring them in. We are responsible to break off that shame. We are responsible to help establish a family, to teach them what that is, to bring that connection. And it's a really hard thing because as I was talking to this young lady, she said it was like she wore her sin. Because it's very visible when you're like nine months pregnant and you know, 17. It's very visible. So how can we be more welcoming? How can we change our mindset? 
How can we get rid of the whispers and embrace this person? Just something to think about as we as we prepare for a move that God is going to do. Because I know that there are things that I don't want to be made visible in my life. So what if what I'm carrying around, I had to wear for nine months? Wouldn't be a pretty picture. Actually, there's artwork depicting that. Thoughts you think tattooed on your skin. Well, do I want all my thoughts shared? No. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing, guys. There's no hierarchy to sin. Sin is what severs our relationship with God. It's what puts us in bondage and shame. It can see, be seemingly the most insignificant thing that has the most impact in our life. Or it can be something huge that there are earthly consequences for that are very public. But sin is sin, and it hurts us. And when we walk around carrying that, when we walk around hurting, the people under our authority are also hurting because we don't sin in the vacuum. But we have Christ who came for us, who stands at the gates of hell, reveals himself to his disciples, his church, the foundations of his church, and nobody else around, people could be milling about their business, going to work, whatever. Nobody else around knew what was going on. But every single demonic principality in that region, when he stood at the gates of Hades or hell and said that, knew exactly what was going to happen. Yep. They knew exactly what was going on. And then in 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Actually, just for a moment, still speaking of Jesus proclaiming this in the darkest area. You know, darkness in your life is not a problem for God. I should have added that quicker. <laughs> any area of darkness in your life, any hidden area is not a problem for God. Because who is God? He is the light of the world. And whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is light. He comes and he shines on those areas. And I find it interesting. Sorry, we went back a point, but I'm having all these thoughts. So I'm, I'm assuming it's the Holy Spirit, and I'm just going to go with it. And I find this interesting that while I was researching what took place at Caesarea Philippi and why it was such a big deal that they mentioned this in both Matthew and Mark, where he stood when this was revealed, that uh, article after article I found that scientists had a hard time believing that Greeks may have participated in human sacrifice. How could that be? We get democracy from them. We get math. We get, you know, the foundation, philosophy, the civilization. How could this be? Why would they participate in this? It baffled and intrigued them. That was what one of the headlines said. It baffled and intrigued them. 
And I stopped and I thought, and it's because without Christ, the human heart is deceitful. Yep. It's because without Christ, our mind can think of horrific things. And even in this day and age, horrific things still happen. You can look back throughout our history, and actually Russell and I were just talking about this the other day. You can even look back to World War II and what made the Holocaust, first of all, it was horrible, but what made it so significant at the end was the president said, you take those cameras, you take those projectors, you take those recording equipments, and you go and you take pictures of it all. I believe it was Eisenhower. Was it Eisenhower? General. He was general at the time. Okay. Auschwitz workout, you go back and get everybody All right. Oh, excuse me. FDR was the president. Eisenhower was the general. I have to let my historians help me on it. And he went and he took evidence of it all because when horrible things happen, we like to stuff it down deep inside. We like to hide it. We don't want people to see it. But that is necessary to see, to deal with, so that it doesn't happen again, so that we can be free. And here, Christ is what brings us to freedom. Because he will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. This is the promise of Christ. Now, he has not yet died and risen again. So he does not have those keys yet. But it's the promise of Christ. And it's the inheritance for the Christian and the church. Those keys are our inheritance. And the keys represent power and authority and access to the throne of God. See, back at the beginning, God gave authority and dominion of the earth to man. And when mankind sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, we didn't just sin and sever our relationship with God. We actually obeyed another master. And in obeying that other master, we exchanged God for Satan. And we gave authority, we gave the keys over to Satan which results in the curse. And throughout the whole Old Testament, it reveals the circumstances of our sin and the effects of its consequences. And it also points to our need of a Savior. But in the New Testament, it reveals who the Savior is and gives us the fullness of the Father's heart as he draws us back unto himself. Because he sent his Son, Jesus Christ, as a man, sinless and spotless. And I'm going to read Isaiah 53. And there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way, and he was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And we lay, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. 
He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. Like a lamb led to a slaughter. He was unjustly condemned and led away, and no one cared he died without descendants, that his life was cut short. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. And Christ willingly did that for us. He willingly laid his life down. And he thought of you, his inheritance. As he subjected himself to the treatment and the beating and the most horrible of deaths, he thought of you. You were on his mind and in his heart. And he said, I'm doing this for my inheritance. I'm doing this for my people. I'm doing this to restore what had been removed. It was his great love for us poured out. But the story, thankfully, doesn't end there. He does die. He is buried. And a story that I love about his resurrection is found, oh, I think in John, but I didn't write it down. When Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and the stone is rolled away and he can't be found. So Peter and John take off running to see what's going on and they go in and one of them wins. <laughs> and they go in and they see that the tomb is empty and they're not sure what's happening. But then they leave to go tell the others what's going on and Mary Magdalene stays. And she stays and she grieves for the loss of her beloved. And as she's weeping, a man comes up to her and begins to talk to her and she thinks he's the gardener. Until he says her name. And when he says her name, she shouts with joy, Rabbi, and she knows who he is. The teacher, the master, my beloved, risen again. And she's the first to see, first to see that miracle. Because he calls us by name. While you're out at work, while you're sleeping, he calls you by name. And he draws you onto himself. And in Ephesians, it tells us, he ascended on high, taking captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. But what does it mean that he ascended, but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. He plundered hell. He took back the keys. He defeated death. He forgives all sins. We are his inheritance, and he took back our inheritance. And what do we get to do with those keys when we're in relationship with Christ? Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim the captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. They were no longer under the law. It was the great and glorious day of the Lord. It was the year of the Lord's favor. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Remember, your enemies are not people. They're not your neighbors. 
they're not the opposite political whatever. The enemies are principalities and powers. It's everything that that mount at Caesarea Philippi stood for. And it was the day of vengeance because he won victoriously. To all those who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. So if you're mourning, the key unlocks beauty for ashes. A joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted of his own. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and repair cities destroyed long ago. And they will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. That's what we're called to do, church. We're the oaks of righteousness. We are the planting of the Lord. And with those keys, we need to go out and rebuild. Rebuild what was torn down. Rebuild what has been ruined. Repair cities destroyed long ago and revive them. Even though they may have been uh, deserted for many generations. If you think about how many people, or how many years, excuse me, how many years are in a generation, according to Google, it's 20 or 30 years per generation. Roe versus Wade, yeah, well, Roe versus Wade has been going for 47 years. How many generations have we lost? One, one and a half, two, 61 million children, 61 million voices. Too many. There's a prophetic word going around. Um, it's called the mantle of Esther. I can link it if you want to hear it later. And at the end, she gives the name of a man who's been in power for a while. And his name means death or burn. And as I was listening to this word, I saw this picture of an urn, a very large urn, that held the ashes of voices that have been silenced, not just through abortion. There are other ways to silence voices. There are other, there are other things. Okay? And it held the ashes of what looked like death. But it actually wasn't death in the end. Because what they thought, what the enemy thought he was stopping, was actually being saved up in this urn. And I saw the urn being poured out across the earth. And out of the ashes rose a phoenix. And a phoenix is not a biblical bird. (laughs) It's a bird of fire. And everywhere the ashes touched the earth, this bird of fire rose again. Because what God gives, even the enemy can't take back. He can't. He might think he was able to, but it's rising again. And with those keys, he gives all authority to us because authority is his. 
All authority has been given to me, Jesus, in heaven and on earth. Now go out, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded to you. Remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the people who screwed up, who are actually responsible for, you know, breaking the cities and destroying he says, I've won these back. I've plundered hell, and I'm giving you back your inheritance. Now go out in my name and spread the good news. And that's what we get to do. Because the truth is not a river. It's not a reed. It doesn't ebb and flow and change. The truth is a rock, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I want you to know today, if there was any condemnation, it is not of God. If there is any shame that you may feel or guilt, let that be broken off of you by the blood of Christ. Because it's the blood of Christ that covers all sin. It's the blood of Christ that makes new and makes whole. And remember, in Christ, we have these keys. And sometimes we have to start with us. Sometimes we have to start rebuilding and restoring what's broken in us. And that's okay. So, if there's any of you in here, or any of you watching online, if you would like to receive Christ, maybe you haven't, if you would like to come up and receive prayer, we are here. And since we talk so heavily on abortion, I want you to know, if you've experienced that in any way, you're the father, the mother, the grandmother, the aunt, if you've experienced that in any way, there is healing and wholeness and restoration, and we are here for you with open arms, and we love you. I'm just going to pray real quick. Jesus, thank you that your word brings life. Thank you that the reading of your word for the first time or the thousandth time, it goes deep. Thank you that you gave your son as the perfect spotless sacrifice for us. And that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. And it is by faith we receive. And it is by faith we pick up the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And we go out into the nations. And we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you that he went before us to make a way for us. Thank you that way led to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that we have the Holy Spirit to walk with us day in and day out, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of power. And Lord, as you pour out those ashes, that those generations that have been lost, that those voices have been silent, that have been silenced, I pray that you pour out the Holy Spirit, that you pour out a wave of refreshing that you pour out a wave of your glory and your power, and that everything that was seemingly lost, you will turn around and you will use it for good, for the glory of your name, and for the healing and the wholeness of men. In Jesus' name.
want to encourage you um, and just reiterate briefly. Um, you know, we are here. If any of that's really struck a chord or resonated with you, make your need known. We'll be happy to pray with you. Um, because that stuff does not have to stay with you. It does not have to affect you. There is a way. And his name is Jesus. He's not only the rock, but he is the way. He is the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God but through him. There is no other. There just, there just isn't. It's only through Jesus. And uh, so, again, if you need prayer for any of that, please let us know. If you're watching online, of course, we can't pray with you directly, at least without um, you reaching out and letting us know you exist. So please do that. You can go to uh, arcgenoa.org and you can contact us there. Um, if you need to learn more about this Jesus whom we proclaim, who is high and lifted up, then there's a button on that site that says, Meet Jesus. I would encourage you to go there and, and to learn more about him. And um, he is just so amazing. You know, when, when Melissa and Russell and Jennifer and Matthew and all of their families went over this last weekend... There was a there was an amazing amazing things took place. There's a deposit and, and, and a ripping just of the of the fabric of the spiritual realm, which took place and it was good. It was amazing and uh, I'm jealous in, in a in a good way, you know, um, that, that they went and. and um, were able to receive that. I encourage you to to, uh, to press into them, ask questions, and uh, I guess if I can ask either Melissa or or any one of you, maybe all of you who, who had um, who had gone, if you could just as we go, just impart a feel like there, there's an impartation to be had. There's something which you received, something which transformed you. Um, you know, from glory to glory, but if there's something you want to just come and release over us, I, I really feel if you could include just a, a prayer just for the ending of abortion, I really feel that that seed, that's a seed which was received, and it was received as a nation, but, but there's something unique, there's something that needs to be continued to be released, because that's on all of us. And to continue to press it and to pray. Um, so if I could ask one or any or all of you to come up and just, just give one final release from that. There's multiple microphones. One of the biggest things that took place there um, for me was just um, uh, there was a, a very highly emotional experience, and uh, you could feel you feel things happening, feel things changing. When you, when you go somewhere where there's that much history, that many things have already taken place, and you're in the presence of that much 
both greatness and corruption at the same time. You can feel that. And when um, when the worship leader who had put this event on the going to came out and began, he began to unleash things, and he had other people coming up on stage, and the pastors from different nations, even at one point a center came and prayed. You could feel all these things happening. And I, I had been joking with, um, with with the kids and stuff. At one point, I, I made a dumb word joke, and I said, it makes me angry that email to mail is not the same thing as emotion to emotion. Or if you execute a plan or you execute a person, you get two very different results. And so we're going on and making all these different plans. And then he hit me a few days later. Emotion to motion, we move because we feel, or at least part of us do, depending on Myers <laughs> Briggs personality test. But emotion is pre motion, the feeling that's there that is going to change all these things. And one of the most emotional experiences for me there was seeing Amy Cody Barrett this morning. You know, just how, how foundational, how historical that is. And uh, I, I had made another joke and said, you know, what better way to keep racism and misogyny going than they have a black guy who. Grew up poor, swearing a mother of seven into the Supreme Court of the most powerful nation on earth. And I think I think a lot of people are looking to her being put in there as a way of ending abortion, a, a way of you know something um, pinballing or, or carrying its way up through the, through the federal government. And somehow, you know, with her being in there, she's going to protect that or, or, or protect the innocent lives or bring it into it in some way. And I think that there's some truth to that. But what's even stronger is the thought that if that, if that same wave that we felt there in Washington, D.C., if that same unleashing um, of, or the, the calling home of hearts or the restoration of hearts, breaking down all the, you know, all, all the hardened shell that we put around ourselves, the love and compassion from one human being to another, if the entire nation is touched by God in the way that he wants to, no one would even think of sacrificing their own child on the altar of convenience in the first place. Right, so, um, and, and, and the, the lies that are wrapped around all this thing, you know, anyone who who wants to show compassion for the life of an unborn child, you, know, you immediately get thrown into these different envelopes of, well, you're one of those that you don't care about the child after they're born. You don't care because you know you don't support this program, and this program, and this program. Well, no, I'm sorry, but that's not the truth. We are called and sent to proclaim the truth through our actions, even more so than our words, and be known as the people who are compassionate. Be known as the people who, as soon as we enter a situation, stability is brought, surety is brought, the ability to have a goal, set a goal and accomplish that is brought just by the presence of Christ in us. I mean, you talk about making a difference. For the, I, I've said this to several people now, but the testimony of what the mall looked like what we were, when we were there and the day after. When we were there, you felt safe everywhere you went. One of the most dangerous places on the face of the planet. You know, I'm not sure that the mall has its own security and that kind of thing, but everywhere you went, there was a helping hand. Everywhere you looked, there was someone who was filled with the Spirit of God in a, in a living way. It was, it was awakened. I don't care who you were when you got there. You were already on fire, doing Pasadena cartwheels all the whole way. She didn't even need a vehicle. She just cartwheeled all the way. Or, or you showed up kind of like me. Okay, all right, let's do this. If, if you were there, and if, if the Spirit of God is inside you, if it wasn't whipped up like, like coals pushed together in a fire and the damp rope and the wind comes and the flame kindles and the heat is there and nothing that's there can be unaffected by that. If, if you weren't changed by that, if you weren't brought back to life by that, there's something really wrong with you. And, and 
with, with the power of God that was there, I think those of us who really had something wrong with us, they probably got some of that fixed while they were there. <laughs> Whether they knew it or not, but just the, sh- the sheer the sheer love, and I, I don't mean in, in a floaty, happy, hippie, any kind of, no, the sheer power of the love and restoration that was there was tangible. And you could see the difference. The next day when we went back, you couldn't even tell that there had been anyone out there in that lawn. I mean, we're talking a couple square miles of area right there. There wasn't a pockmark in the ground, not so much as a straw wrapper or a bottle or a communion cup. Everyone behaved in the way and with the same care and compassion and the level that God the Father had, even when he sent his own son here to sacrifice himself, that his son, the same care that his son had when he was offered a chance over and over again to not have to go through the pain of the cross and the supernatural compression of all of eternity of the torture of hell within the, within the space of three days or however it was, that God put it together to where that punishment was paid for. That same level of compassion was shown in their actions. And that same fire is here today. We just need to, we need to blow on that. And I just want to release that, that same fire that's coming, coming out of me. Father God, we just, we, the same, the same shout that we gave there, the rekindling of the cities and the towns, we just call out to Noah and in Greetown, and Woodville, and, and, and Martin, and, and Oregon, and all the different cities, and all the old churches that were there, and many of them crumbling and broken, and the pastors that felt like there was no point in keeping going, but they did anyways. We just call that back to life, call out the resurrection of the reason that we follow Jesus in the first place. We don't do it to make the world a better place, but it does make the world a better place. We celebrate the joy and the compassion and the restoration and the healing that comes from all of that, Lord, in knowing you and knowing you in unity and the thing that breaks down the barriers of old dominions and and denominations and walls of race and walls of language and the, the separation even as far back as the Tower of Babel when everyone was sent their own way. The, the, the hatred and the laziness of minds that causes racism and bigotry, the laziness, the unwillingness to take people as they are one at a time instead of just categorizing one another because it's easier to keep our own lives going that way. We, we, we declare that by your power those things are torn down and that life comes back, life springs up out of the ground everywhere that we go and everywhere that you are, Father God. That the nation of America is called to be the most generous and loving people on the face of the planet. That we are the ones who will make a difference in our own homes and in our own neighborhoods and in the other nations of this world. And that, that, that it will manifest itself in every single way in the physical and in the spiritual. But right now, Father God, in the spiritual and the healing, the breaking of hearts, if you haven't cried in years, if you haven't felt things in years, if you've been holding back, if your emotions are incomprehensible to you, that's because he lit a fire in you from before the time that you were born. Since before the time that you were conceived, he had a dream for you. He had a calling for you. He had a vision and a passion for you, and you've never known what that was supposed to feel like. So, of course, you can't understand it, but it's time to let that out. It's time to let that be. It's okay to be the weird ones. It's okay to be the peculiar people. It's okay to be called. It's okay to be strange. Most of us already are. That's all right. God says it's okay. Those things that are in your heart, the compassion that you had as a child, the dreams and visions that you had as a child, the later you put away because you thought it was childish foolishness. You just didn't know where it was supposed to go. 
You just didn't know where it was supposed to go. He said, no, no, no. I put that in you for a reason. I put that in you so that it could make power. I put that in there. But I have a specific reason. There are people maybe that you haven't met yet, or there are things that you haven't said yet. There's maybe books that you haven't read yet. There's places you haven't been. You don't even know yet how powerful you are. You don't even know yet that the thing that I put in you, it's like racing fuel. And all we're looking to do is just get the right mixture going, get the right thing going, the right timing going, and all of a sudden it just lights off. And you'll never be the same again, and nor will anyone who is near you ever be the same again. So, Father, we unleash these things in your name. And, Father, I ask that you would change me and bless them everywhere I go, even though I don't even know entirely what that means. I think you're going to show us one step at a time. I don't fully understand what all this is, but I sure know what it feels like. I sure know what it feels like. And I know that, I know that not just based on the feelings and emotions that we're having, but I know that this is our hearts beating and resonating our hearts beating and resonating with yours. It's an old, it's an old pulse that I heard years ago. I didn't know what it was, and, and what, it, what I had said at the time was that you hear the lion in the distance. He's pacing. He's pacing. He's pacing. He's marching on the hearts of men. He's marching on the hearts of men, like a great lion in the distance, and that that rhythm that's there. Receive it. It is biblical. It is what he's called forth. And then it's time for each and every one of us to be be able to understand what part we play in that and, and, and accept and call out the fact that it is okay. It is okay to have no It is okay to be hurt because our heart is open. It is okay. He's going to take care of that. But that pain. The temporary pain is there so that none may live in eternal pain. Embrace it. I have nothing to add. (laughs) (laughs) We released twice. I came back with no voice. Um, we released at the Supreme Court a shout. And we released on the mall a shout. Yeah. You want to talk about being a weird, peculiar people? <laughs> Standing in front of the Supreme, Supreme Court steps and just shouting. But there's power in our vocal declaration of a shout. Yeah. Right? It doesn't, we're not saying anything, we're just shouting. And I want to do that. Kids, stay in here because you're good at this. Okay? We just need, I know it's weird, we just need to shout because the breaking will happen and Russell declared what's coming. All right? On the count of three. One, two, Yeah. <laughs>
Um, I just, before we dismiss, I just want to share this. Um, what you heard this morning is the truth. It is the word of God. It is the intention and the heart of God. And nothing, nothing, nothing that happens this coming week will change the truth. I'm expecting good things. But nothing changes the truth of God's intention and God's heart for this world and for the church. And so I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. As as Melissa was sharing, we we need to be prepared. We need to be have that rock set in our hearts. So Go with the power and the grace and the compassion of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.